you know, you laugh, done well, that can be a really powerful thing. I mean, the, the, there's so much about Agile and, and what we do that we do because that's what you're supposed to do. But, um, you know, mixing up these meetings a little bit and not just uh, not being so purist in all things, I think really turns into a better way of working. Welcome to the 20th episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I am Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. I'm Jared Watkins. And I'm Judson Drennan. We're here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking about Agile, Scrum, Kanban, and product ownership. We're also looking at how this relates to operations work, and in particular, the interplay of operations and development. To help us with this, we are joined by a special guest. Judson, can you, can you introduce yourself, please? Hi, um, I just said I'm, I'm Judson Drennan. Um, I am a product owner, and I work for a company called Vital Source. We do uh, digital textbook delivery, and um, I've got a team of, oh, I guess, uh, seven back-end engineers, three QA, and um, a partridge in a pear tree, and um, we put together the we put together the the core um, of our of our system, which uh, is the um, basically we hold the database, we do the models, and we make sure that uh, the rest of the company can buy, sell, and distribute textbooks. Um, so there's other other teams in this company as well that handle APIs or the uh, reader applications, that kind of thing. But mine is sort of the the closest to a back-end team that, uh, that we have for uh, the content. And you are a product owner, which is different from a lot of other roles in the, the technology space that you actually have to understand all of the various pieces in the interplay of the groups, right? Yes. Um, when I try to explain to people what I do, um, I just explain that um, it... it it is, they're business people and they're developers, and they don't know how to talk to each other. And so my job is to kind of get between them and uh, be an interface between them. Um, I have other roles as well, but that's really the big thing, is making sure that that when the business says things like, I want, um, I want the software to fly, and it would be really nice if it could change colors, and also, can it be a car? you have to say, uh, no, none of that is realistic in any way whatsoever, and I think you might be kind of crazy, but you have to say that in a way that makes them, you know, come away from it feeling okay with what happened. And similarly, um, you know, when the developers start getting, you know, angry and say, well, then they just shouldn't enter 7 as a, as, as, a, as a value because 7 crashes it. We have to explain that 7 is a valid number between 1 and 10, um, and we'll have to make it work. So there's sort of this, this disconnect that happens. And that that's really what what this is. Um, beyond that, it's it's taking the work that's agreed upon between both groups and prioritizing it, um, making sure that it's, it's it's well scoped and broken down appropriately with the teams, and still reflects after it's broken down what the business side wanted. So that that's that's essentially it. Awesome. That's an excellent introduction. I have been on many teams in the past and been asked to do various forms of you know time planning and project management from the traditional waterfall Gantt chart stuff to Scrum and Agile and Kanban and a bunch of other, a word salad of terms that don't always mean a lot of stuff to me. And I've heard 
lots of operations folk in general complain about specifically the the sprint process planning and stuff for doing operations work because so much of operations work is driven by bugs that appear in code live or services that crash or other things that happen you know in, in the day-to-day life of a piece of software actually running and that does not often map to the realities of we have a we have a fixed window that we're trying to get a certain number of tickets done in yes yeah, so um agile gets a bad rap because of scrum um Agile is is a very loose framework for getting um, things done and um, for thinking about software differently um, and thinking of it more ephemerally than, you know, as this well-scoped, um, pre-thought-about uh, body of work. And so um, Scrum seeks to provide structure for that philosophy. And they do it by tomboxing everything because otherwise, you know, scope will get out of out of whack or that, you know, you'll spend more time than you thought you would. And there's uh, a very heavy focus on planning. When you go into the sprint, you may spend a day or two of a two week sprint planning and getting exactly how you how how you how it's going to be and make sure that this ticket's going to go into QA on Tuesday and it should be done by Thursday so this other ticket can come in on Thursday that will have been it's you know very very highly structured there's very specific meetings things are done the same way and the idea is to bring high degrees of predictability to the work that's great if what you can do is predictable and when things are not changing a lot um, I think it probably works very well for startup projects or small scope things where you can understand a lot of of the project or product in your head at once. In the real world as I've seen it, Scrum has not been a very good fit for the type of work that I've seen going on around me, at least in the past two places I've worked. Um, it's, it's um, there's a word for it, chaotic. And Scrum doesn't deal with chaos very well. And then when you start to try to, you have your Scrum master, like, no, you have to do it this way. No, no, we're going to blow up the sprint. And we're going to, it just makes everybody feel like a failure at the end of the thing when you don't, you didn't get your predictable uh, velocity. You're not doing better. Uh, there's a bunch of tickets that rolled. And in the meantime, 30% of the stuff that you did do, you didn't even know about when you started the Monday of the first week of sprint. I've been trying to keep track of my my hours just in terms of is the work I'm working is is the work I'm doing right now work that was planned from like a ticketing perspective before time period started or is it something that's come up emergently or it's interrupted me from whatever else and on a good week 30% of my time is on interrupt work and on a bad week about 75 to 80% of my time is interrupt work so that kind of ties into that nicely I'm not sure if I'm having good weeks or bad weeks I'm working on a project I thought would take me a week or two weeks to do and three weeks in i'm still battling against uh unforeseen bugs that i'm trying to figure out humans are really bad at predicting time or estimating time on things yeah and so i guess to me i i recently got introduced to the poker planning method which really confused me because i guess internally the, the whole i guess the whole purpose of poker planning is to not use uh, time frames like this. I think this will take three hours. I think this will take six hours. But in my head, whenever we were to poker plan a ticket, I'd go, "Oh, well, I think that will take about twenty hours." Mm, that's a six or a, or, or a three or a nine or whatever number I'm supposed to use. 
Um, so I just don't see the benefit of that because internally I was still estimating time. It's just we've changed languages or frameworks to do it differently. You have to call it complexity. If you call it complexity, really, you know, nothing changes. <laughs> and and that, that's been... it. So much of it is just sort of a sham to try to make it work. The reason that Scrum is so popular, in my humble professional opinion, is that the rules are easy, right? Um, you can, you know... Agile is a big enough word now that, you know, your boss's boss's boss knows about Agile and knows that we should be Agile and doesn't know what the hell that means other than that the people that are like subordinate subordinates probably want to be Agile, so we should empower them. And that and, and like you kind of get the thing, well, what are we going to do? Well, there's a scrum thing. That's another big word. And they can understand the, 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 the rules. We're going to pick out how much work we're going to do. We're going to do it for two weeks. We're going to finish that work. We'll have... Uh, we'll, we'll get through the roadmap exactly how we're supposed to. There's these meetings, there's these things, and that's all there is to it. And if you just do those things, then it will, you know, it will be holy and wonderful, and we will be agile as a company. But nothing actually changes about the way that the business side interfaces with the technology side. Um, they just start saying, "Well, can you put this in the, into, the, into the sprint?" They start using the word sprint, which they don't even understand what the hell that means. So. Uh, I think that that it's just given agile as a as a general concept a bad rap. There are better ways to go about being agile and sort of adhering to the the philosophical tenets of it rather than you know some rule set that's rigid and hard. It's, it's that's not what it, what it's supposed to be. Man, I've done stand ups with uh, other clients with groups of thirty five people, and really found it quite valuable. Uh, able to do it on at 20 minutes on the dot and found those very productive. Um, I've uh, been on plenty of, of ticket grooming sessions and found those meetings uh, really valuable to be able to, to talk about tickets and review tickets with my manager, with the uh, project owner, um, to get a better handle on the ticket backlog. Uh, one of the things that what I didn't find so enjoyable about these ticket grooming sessions is is doing operations work um we were doing about grooming about one ticket every 30 minutes and as you might imagine our ticket queue was a little bit longer than two or three tickets um so it turned into a a, a really a large time suck to be fair um, a big part of that was that we had been using the ticket system as just sort of a personal to-do to tracking do list, list rather than a ticket list where you actually flesh out a ticket and give a, a specific meaning to, okay, this is what the, the, the body of work is. This is how we're going to establish what it is and how it's how, what a client needs from it. It was just a, hey, I need to go fix this thing right now or later or whatever it was. I want to make sure I remember this item of work and come back to it. But it was also the our, our team has several different major disciplines in it in terms of within the operation space. So... If a graphic ticket comes up, I don't have mastery of the of the, the scope, and so to ex explain that ticket to me takes a lot more time than to explain it to to you, Jack, because you understand all of the, the pieces of the of the system, whereas I don't have it in my head anymore. And but, vice versa, if an elk ticket is on the top of the backlog and I've got free cycles, that's not the most efficient use of my time, where I am in my team with uh, more mastery of graphite and Prometheus. Than I do of elk. So currently, here's what what I'm doing with my team to get around that. Um, 
Well, first of all, I've, I've been scrum bashing, but we, we are a Kanban team. Um, when I got there, they were they were failing horribly at Scrum, and we made a transition to that. Maybe we can talk about that later in the thing. But um, we are not doing estimations, uh, but we still do grooming, and we groom by Epic. And so when an Epic comes up, uh, I figure out the people that are going to be on this this Epic. We talk a little bit and figure out who's got the right expertise, that kind of stuff. And so I may do grooming with one developer. Um, one QA or you know two developers and, and a QA to figure out how we're going to groom this epic. The rest of the people don't really need to know that much about it. I make sure they understand the business value. They can understand that kind of thing. And as it goes through, they are going to read the code reviews, right? They're, they're, they're going to do that kind of stuff. So they're going to get to watch it incrementally get built. But they don't have to understand what's going to happen there, because you know as much as that may seem like siloing, that's that's really kind of how really complex things are. Uh, if you've, we have a, a huge breadth of things that we do on my team, and not everybody can be a generalist and know everything. And if they were, they wouldn't be very good at their jobs. So there's no reason to have everybody on the team understand this graphite ticket. The graphite guy says, you know, it's a five, and everybody says okay. But even we're not really pointing. But like I mean, that, that's just what is it. Um, when we are talking about things, and somebody's like, oh, this sounds really complex. We need to understand. If somebody says no, it's easy then we just accept it and we move on. There doesn't need to be a shared understanding. That That's that's silly. I've always appreciated the concept of T-shaped people, people that have a broad set of skills and knowledge, but are really deep in a certain uh, subset of, of, of knowledge and tasks, like uh, monitoring and metrics. Um, that's that's something that's that jives well for me. Um, and perhaps due to to former uh, jobs, uh, I really, it really gets under my skin very quickly when people assume that I'm a generalist, that if I do my job well, any hobo off the street can come in and pick up her I left off. That's not how it works. I like that description of a, of a T-shaped person. I hadn't thought about it that way before. A couple of teams ago, when I first worked with Jack, <clears throat> it was pretty awesome. We had a, a very, very talented group of people, and we all had our various specialties and we knew where the specialties lay, lay, so it was easy to say, okay, oh, there's my skill ticket, toss it over to team man. It's a, there's a whatever, you know, we need to route this over to to other people on the team. And it was it was a very efficient use of our skill set and our time. And there was very little adult management because adult management was busy doing other things. So they left us kind of our own devices to get things done, and we got a lot done that way. And we knew each other, and we worked together well. And when we needed to come together and and beat our heads against the whiteboard to figure out a problem. We did. And honestly, to me, that is a better definition of a high-functioning Agile team. Justin, what is the difference between Kanban and, and Scrum? Because I guess I've actually done more Kanban style than because we used Trello to do our lists. And we would have like a an icebox backlog uh, to do next or something like that. In progress, review, done. That All right, so uh, I'll start with Scrum. Scrum is about uh, setting a time box, getting a certain amount of work done in that time period. The tickets that were done should have been estimated beforehand. At the end of two weeks, you add up the number of points. Uh, that is how many points you did that sprint. If you look at the number of points done per sprint over time, that's considered to be your velocity. The team is seeking to get a consistent velocity um, and maybe even make that accrete over time so that you can get more work done. 
and um, you have daily stand-ups, you have uh, every sprint uh, planning, you have every sprint retrospective, um, you have um, your pointing or grooming, or uh, it has a name, but you know, so it, it's a lot of ritual, um, and it's designed to get predictability. Uh, that is Scrum in a, in a nutshell. Um, that is an overlay over top of Agile. You can do Scrum and not be Agile. Um, it is a um, it is a an overlay, a way of getting things done. Similarly, Kanban is also a way of getting things done. Kanban actually, I think, um, was uh, a Toyota plant manufacturing. Um, I'm, I'm, there, I'm, I'm missing a noun here. Um, process. It's a process. And the idea with that is flow. Um, Kanban is all about the flow. If you think about a factory, uh, you have raw materials that have to come into the factory. They arrive on trucks. You do stuff in the factory, and when you're done, trucks take the product away. So if you look at that as, as to do and progress and done for a second, think about it that way. That, that's sort of the idea. If the factory isn't moving as fast as the trucks are coming in, there's a bunch of shit sitting in the parking lot. This expensive shit, like it's you know, it's it's inventory that's sitting there in the parking lot, and you can't do anything with it. So that's money that you're leaving on the table because somebody else had to produce it and they had to drive it and they had to get it there. Similarly, on the other end, uh, if you don't have enough trucks to take the product that you've created out and get it out into the wild to go to market, then you have crap backing up on the docks and floating docks and they, they don't get out. That's another work blockage. Eventually the factory can't even do anything because there's nowhere to put the stuff they're working on. And that's again expensive. So Kanban is about looking at these sort of work stoppages and piles up of inventory and finding ways to streamline them. Make sure that more work doesn't show up than your developers can do. Make sure that as handoffs happen that you have the right bandwidth at every stage of the game so that you can get a flow of tickets through. Um, the other idea there is that as much as possible tickets should be about the same size although you know that's obviously not completely possible. But that, that, that's the main difference. Time boxes versus flow. So how well does that answer your question <laughs> overall? It, it does. I'm just I, I guess uh, my experience well, like I was mentioning earlier was I guess a kind of a mashup of Scrum, yes, and Scrumbon, Kanban, Scrumbon, and, uh, yes, methodologies. Because yeah, because we would have the two week interval. We would do the retrospective, but there was never really any hard estimations up front. Other than I think this will take two or three hours. I think this will take five hours. Uh, you know, just so that we wouldn't put too many in a in that two week interval mm -hmm. to where we wouldn't accomplish everything we said we would try to accomplish. Um. But then we would still put things in backlog of on a Kanban board, which was Trello, and would try to keep a consistent flow going. So I guess it's mm -hmm. kind of like a so mashup. I, and as I've studied some of these issues, there's such an amazing amount. I mean, 150 years of history involving uh, throughput through a factory and uh, how that maps to the software development process is really eerily uh, similar, but a lot of people don't see it at all. But there's 
just so much amazing uh, history and theory we already have to build off of. I mean, you're, you're making a thing. And, and, and exactly. I think that... I mean, it's nice to think that whatever you're working on right now is special or good or whatever, but if you look at your career over the life of your career, each ticket, it's just a thing. Like, it's not... It, it's just a thing, right? Um, and it's no different than any other sort of widget or cog or whatever. It's, it's you putting your skills towards making a piece of functioning software or fixing some that already exists and then moving it out into production. Like that, that's, and, and that's exactly what a assembly line does. It's sort of where white collar and blue collar meet on the other side. I think it's interesting to look at the, the, the Kanban process more as a factory line because it, in this process, the, Software development teams generally are the people doing the units of work, and a lot of the operation stuff is servicing the, the factory, the robots in the line, and keeping the line moving. And yeah, the the folks who are working on the line are also adding value to the, to the pipeline, making sure that things work. But when something breaks, you when when a piece of assembly belt f- fails or a robot stops working or something else happens, you, you can't plan that ahead of time you don't say oh well, we know that on tuesday that we're going to spend three hours stopped because you know this this robot ran out of grease it's going to be we plan we budget some time in for hey things we're going to break but we don't know exactly what or when so having the the analogy to the, the physical assembly line really helps me think about the differences between kanban because it's it's looking at the whole the piece holistically rather than trying to box everything into okay we're all software developers kanban here. is also it's considered to be interrupt driven um, which I think is very appropriate for ops work. You know, your your whole idea of ops isn't just firefighting, right? I mean, you're gonna you're trying to build other things and add capacity and have, have you have projects and things that you're trying to do, and and and, and so you have those projects, you have them planned um, in terms of the order of operations, and you have them prioritized in your backlog, and so you take those off the top and you 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 do them and, and you plan for um who's going to do what and how it's going to be deployed and you, you do all that meanwhile something blows up so you stop working on that and you take care of this other uh it, you have a different lane for the critical things that come through you know um bob just blew up you know our util 42 okay let's go fix that box and and when you're done with it, you just get back to the other piece. And you can do that because it's not like, but if this isn't done by Friday week, then we all fail as a team. You just you just get it done. There's shame in Scrum. There's so much shame. When you get to Friday and those three tickets are not done, and one of them rolled over from the previous one, there's just shame. The other issue that I've I've seen happen with the Scrum stuff is when you have lots of different teams there isn't always good enough communication between the teams about, okay, which tickets are important for this team or that team or what dependencies you have on other people. You have to be careful to have all of the tickets that you're, that are dependent on external resources, clearly dis- dis- described external resources. So they know that this has to happen in the sprint and it can be accounted for in their planning process. And that doesn't always happen correctly, especially when you have lots of groups and it gets really messy. Or even better, when you're blocked by another group and you need something done to finish out your sprint, they're like, oh, we can't fit it in because it'll blow up our sprint. Or you didn't tell us you needed it two weeks ago, so you can't have it. Semantics. I think this is my life. I'm not really sure I'm proud of that. I, I, I think a lot of people, I, I think both people who listen to this will, will definitely identify as well. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, it, this is this is what we all deal with, and you know, it's it's incredibly frustrating. Um, 
and everybody gets so high and mighty about it too, right? You know, um, it's just it's just kind of silly. Uh, at the end of the day, if if things in your area are apt to change, like seriously change, in a shorter time period than what your sprint is supposed to be, then you should not be in a sprint. If anything can be so urgent, if you have a two-week sprint, and if anything can be so urgent that it can't wait two weeks to be started, then you're probably not in the right industry to use Scrum. You need to have something more interrupt-driven. My uh, One of my managers, um, because you know you have three or four, um, refers to operations work as emergent, um, which is... I like which that. I definitely agree with, but doesn't quite um, uh, remind me of any of the software development models uh, like Kanban or Agile um, that I've been taught. Am I missing something there? Or... That that is exactly what Kanban is. Uh, if you think of yourself as a factory worker for a second, right? Um, in terms of the actual doing of the work. You don't care what the next thing is that comes on the assembly line that you're going to put a screw in and then hand to the next person. You know, it, you just don't care. So the order of the backlog, you just don't really care about. It's just, it's just work. It's just a unit of work that you have to do. And so if something emergent comes up, it goes to the top if it's important. If it isn't, it goes to where it needs to be in terms of its urgency and importance. Uh, and you just... You just have to find a very zen-like way of dealing with it and just you just take that next piece. Um, there are groups that are like support groups that that's all it is. All of the work is emergent. There is no planned work. There's, that's other teams. All they do is help desk stuff, and that comes through. Um, I, I think that what you all do is somewhere in between. You know, you've, you've got things that you're doing that will make the system better, and then you've got the things that happen because it's Thursday and it always goes down on Thursday or, or, you know, whatever it is. <laughs> the UPS that would always do a, a battery check and crash the AFS database server attached to it during our bi-weekly stand-up meeting. Indeed. Remember that one, Brendan? Yeah, that was, that was a very special and happy little reminder. <laughs> hey, it always got us out of that meeting. <laughs> yeah. Every two weeks at like ten fifteen in the morning. Oh, database server crashed. Oh, oh, never mind. Okay, let's go fix that damn UPS again. <laughs> so I, I I don't think I don't think you're missing anything. I think that it it's uh, or it, it's all about just taking what comes in. Uh, that 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 is really what it is. And then you've got somebody who's managing that from a business perspective, and and working with the development team to you know to make sure that we're working on things that have benefit to the company and explaining what the company is doing. Then, uh, when something comes in right now, usually the team knows. Oh, wait, this needs to be a critical ticket, and we just need to pick it up and stop what we're working on. Um, they they figured out what it is. You know, if it's a billing issue, they're probably just going to go ahead and deal with it. I like that. I think that I will suggest that going forward in my career as kind of the a better way to handle operations development works. We do a lot of development of systems and complex things, and we write code, but we also handle a lot of just sort of, hey, this thing is broken, and we can't search logs anymore or we can't you know see our metrics or we can't get monitoring stuff to work or whatever it is so i think this this better fits a lot of the the operational stuff especially because we're so interrupt driven on on so many ways 
It does. And, and one thing I've, I think I realized that I sometimes miss is that person that can really translate operations work to, to the, the business side of the house. And that's also a rare person to come by. That's a place where I think that I have found a lot of benefit to the companies that I've worked for is that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a developer by trade. Um, I'm a journalist by trade. And, um, you know, that means a lot of asking questions and asking the same question again and then again until till till you can kind of understand it enough. And it's also about being able to build and tell stories. And so um, the only way you're going to get an exec to, you know, understand why... Um, while we need to dockerize the presentation layer um, and why we need to start using a Node.js server to process this framework server side, right? That 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 just will that that blows somebody's mind and they they don't know what you're talking about and it's just kind of crazy. So instead, it's all about understanding you know what what that is and then telling a story about that and saying, hey, what we need to be able to do is what we need to be able to do is is grow capacity or shrink capacity as our demand changes um and we need to be able to process uh to, to deliver web content to our users incredibly fast and and you explain it to them that way um and and then as they ask more questions because that well how are you going to do that well there's this this neat sort of underlying technology that they can use that can allow us to grow and scale and move to the cloud if we want to and all these different buzzwords but there's a thing there that actually does it, and you know, so you have to do that kind of that kind of translation between the different groups. That wraps it up for the twentieth episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. Thanks again to Judson for joining us. We've been Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely, and I'm Jared Watkins, and special guest Judson Drennan. Thank you, and good night. Please take time to rate the show on iTunes. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. So, let us know. We can just run me through a filter and I can be like Stephen Hawkins. It'll be great. By the way, um, while we're uh, again inside Reel, something that you have alerts with a duck sound. Or something, and I would really like it if that would would stop. <laughs> it's adium. Okay, there we go. Yep. Okay. Keep talking and it just. <laughs> we do that to all of our guests. <laughs> trolling me with a duck. Actually, I'm pretty sure we should leave that in the podcast. Well, that's going to be in it, isn't it? <laughs>